Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here and uh, really excited about what God wants to do in our lives today if he hasn't already done something. Um, I've had the privilege to go to India on a couple of the, the trips, spent a lot of time trying to pronounce Vishakapatnam correctly, and when I got there, everyone referred to it as Visak. So if you can't say Visakapatnam, then Visak is fine. Well, folks, we've been doing a series called Eternity, and how many of you have been here for a couple of the, the sermons already? Have you felt uh, challenged, and has it been a, a sobering message for you? Has it realigned your perspective a bit? Well, I'm hoping that today will become even more realigned. This morning when we were praying, Marla had a, just a, a sense of God wanting to refocus our vision. Um, in the same way as you go to an optometrist and you have those lenses put in front of your eyes that, that God wants to come and refocus what we see and what our lives are about. Last night I was with some friends and we were talking about the air conditioners which were in the back of the, wall, uh, the hall and I couldn't read the, um, the writing on the, the uh, air conditioner so I went like this. Have any of you done this? Does it work for any of you? I was trying to refocus, and I could kind of get what it said, but it doesn't work that well. It, glasses are much better. So I'm praying today that you're not going to see God's word through your, the palms of your hands, but through the filter of his word and allow him to speak to, to your hearts. I'm going to start with an illustration. Um, before I do this, the, the title of my message today is Rewards or Regrets. And you'll see where I'm going with that. So if you can see here is a, not a ball of string, but a, 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 a whatever, carton of string. Um, if you see the design that we've made for this sermon series, we've got one brush of the red paint, which represents our life here on earth. And the, the blue line represents our life in eternity. So... Can you see that there's a little bit of a red end here? Yes. Eugene? So, I've asked Eugene just to hold that for me. You can sit if you want to. So, let's say this string represents the lifespan of your life, okay? The red bit is your lifetime here on earth, all right? Very often, a lot of us... A lot of people are concerned just about their life here on earth. And they put all their focus and energy and they're consumed about this life here on earth. They're saying, if I can work and save and save and save and save, when I get here, I can enjoy the, the benefits of all my hard work through my life here on earth. But the Bible says that it doesn't end there for us. We will live for eternity. So imagine this string represents eternity. So try and think of a thousand years. Let's go back a thousand years. I'm going forward a thousand, but I want you to think as we're going back. Think back 2,000 years. That's when Jesus was here. Let's go 
4,000 years. That's when Abraham was here. Are, are you getting a sense of, of where we're at? So here, we need to focus on this red part of our lives, which determines how we're going to live the rest of our lives. Can you imagine this string never ending? Never ending. And I'm hoping today that what I share with you is going to encourage this red part of your life so that you focus about eternity. Eugene, you can just hold on to that. I might come back to it. The Apostle Paul, he says, I'm, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to invest my life for that moment when I cross the finish line. He says that in Philippians 3, he says he's straining. He's focused about that moment when he'll stand before Jesus one day. And we will all have that moment. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face him, I don't get that chance ever again. We have one chance to live this life and then face the judge who will look at our lives. If you want to think about your life here, we need to consider the future. The decisions we make here now in our life will determine the eternal life. Here's a simple illustration. Let's say you have an extra thousand rand lying around. If you had to think, one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for the way that I spent my money. Do you think that would change the way that you use that extra money? Perhaps you could use it to help someone or advance God's kingdom in whatever way, the various ways to do that. Or you could go and spend it on buying the new series that has just come out. It's not just the money that God challenges us, but it's the time that we live, the, the time that we have for, for our lives. Are you going to regret the time, that, what you spent your life on? Are you going to be excited about watching thousands of hours of television? And folks, please, before I go on any further, I don't want anyone to get upset with me. I, I wish I could be sitting in that uh, chair with you today. I'm preaching to myself. I was very challenged by this message in preparing. So please know that I'm sharing the word of God with you today and allow God to open your hearts and understanding to what he wants to do with your lives. I want to look at the concept of eternity again. And just to briefly recap on that, in Job 36 verse 26, it says, no one can begin to understand eternity. What is it? How can it be defined? The truth is that eternity cannot be mentally comprehended. Think of the universe. Where does the universe end? I'm sure we've all, as kids, we've sat down and we've tried to think about that. Where does the universe end? It's quite an incredible thought. There's no end to the universe. It's, it goes on for eternity. What about God himself? Pause a moment and think of his beginning. Scripture declares that he is from everlasting to everlasting. If he wasn't born, then how did he get there? That's a crazy thought for your mind. But in Ecclesiastes, it says he has put eternity in their hearts. So that very thing that doesn't make sense in our mind, God has put in our hearts. 
There's another scripture in Romans 1.19. It says, for the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put the knowledge in their hearts. God has placed something in our hearts to say that there is a creator. The Bible says that the fool says there is no God in his heart. And I think that's an incredible dark place to be in. If Yes, you can maybe justify why you, in your mind, you can think, hey, where did God, God come from and there is no God? But for a person to say, coming from his heart, there is no God, that's quite a bold statement. That means that you need to know everything about life to be able to make that statement. It doesn't make sense. God places that eternity in our hearts. If we look at the topic of judgment, in Matthew sixteen twenty-seven, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus Christ has given the authority, has been given the authority to judge all the earth. And although he's already working in our lives now here, when we're on earth, there will be a final judgment day when Jesus returns. And he will review our lives. Pierre spoke last week about that authentic relationship that we have with Jesus and that it's not about our religious works. And then he spoke about our righteous acts. God responds that we not just see him as Savior, but also as Lord. And that his word directs the actions of our lives. Very simply put, Pierre said it's about knowing Christ and showing Christ. And that's where we will be judged one day. This judgment day, the Bible also talks about it being that day, has been appointed before the foundation of the earth. There will be more than one judgment. There will be one for unbelievers, for believers, and even the angels. And uh, we will stand before Jesus one day. Some of us might, might say, hey, but listen, I've received him in my life. I'm, I've cleared that. You know, I've got my ticket to heaven. Yes, that is correct. But God will inspect your life. He will investigate. If you go back to the original Greek word where it talks about the judgment of the believers, that Greek word means investigation. He will investigate your life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 to 10. This is Paul speaking. He says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And I believe Paul here is speaking to believers because he says that when you are not at home in your body, you are with the Lord. If you do not, if you are not a believer, if you do not believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, when you are not in your body, you will not be with the Lord. So Paul is speaking to believers here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. While eternal life is a free gift because of the grace that God gives to us, Jesus will look at our words, and not just our words, but our thoughts, and he will look at our actions 
not just our actions, but our motives. And if I can apply this to my life, I will stand before God one day and give an account for this very moment as I stand here and as I share his word. And it scares me because the Bible says that you will take an account for everything that you say. So that's quite a sobering thought. But secondly, if my motive is here because I want to see how many people are going to listen to the podcast in a week's time, then that will be judged also. God knows us so well. We can't fake it. We can't, you know, we can't pretend to be someone and think that that's the person that God is going to judge. God knows our motives and he knows our heart. What we do with the cross determines where we will spend eternity, but the way that we live our lives will determine how we are going to spend eternity. In Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 2, It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The writer of Hebrew, he's saying, let us move on from elementary doctrine. Elementary means basic, essential, and fundamental part. It's essential that we have an understanding of what we are preaching here. I said to Pierre this last week, I said, do you realize, I think this is the first time we've ever preached on eternity here in this church. We've touched on it in moments, uh, in different sermons, but as a series, this is the first time we've done it. And the Bible refers to it as the elementary teachings It's like me wanting to go and study at a university, but I have had no elementary education. I cannot read, I cannot write, I cannot do maths, but I want to go and pursue a degree. In our Christian walk, if we want to live this red part successfully, it's important that we understand eternal judgment. If we have an understanding of it, it will determine what we think about the rest of our lives. Have you you guys taken time? I've taken a lot of time this week and uh, previous week just thinking about my life after earth. It's a crazy thought. It's, It's quite intense. Eternity. We will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And we put so much focus on this little part of our lives. We try and find comfort. We try and find joy over here. The judgments that will be made and the rewards that we receive will be eternal. Here's another sobering thought. When Jesus makes his decision and when he investigates our lives, that decision that he makes is eternal. When you stand before Jesus one day, will you enjoy the benefits? Will you enjoy those rewards or will you have regrets? How many of you have regretted something in your life? Regretted buying something? It's the worst feeling for me. When I go and I buy something, especially clothing. You can ask Michelle. She doesn't ever buy me clothing because I'm very uh, particular when it comes to clothing. 
But if I buy myself, especially a pair of shoes, and I just know, ah, it wasn't a good buy, you know? What do they call it? Uh, Retailer's remorse. But that's not a problem because I can go and buy another pair until I find the pair that I feel very comfortable in. When we stand before Jesus one day, we will have one moment. One moment where he has investigated our lives and when he gives us reward. This cannot be overemphasized. Try to mentally grasp never ending. It's God's will that we know in advance and that we labor for the rewards that come from adhering to his word. Now, if I can speak a little bit about rewards. In 2 John 1 verse 8, it says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. This is the Apostle John. He's ending, he's coming to the end of his life. He's in his 90s. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And he says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but you may win a full reward. John is saying, please live your lives so that you will attain the full reward. If he says there's a full reward, that means there's also a partial reward, and then there's also possibly no reward. And he speaks about losing that. So here, John is encouraging his readers. He's saying, I've lived my life, but please don't, don't forget. Don't lose hope. Keep focused. As Paul says, he's running that race. He's straining towards the finish line. Don't lose hope. Live for the full reward. And guess what? God wants to give us the full reward. Isn't that amazing? Pierre spoke last week about the anticipation of that day. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be an incredible day. We should not feel scared about it. It's going to be the greatest moment in our lives, celebrating with our king. Paul called the Corinthians infants when he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians because they were not spiritually healthy and not mature. They quarreled like children. They allowed divisions to disrupt them. So Paul had to come into the church and says, guys, you are behaving like children. You're spiritually immature. You're following your own desires. And then he speaks to them about what it means to be a mature disciple. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here Paul is saying, he's speaking specifically to 
the Corinthian church. But he, he makes a statement. He says, if you want to build a life of value, you need to look at the material that you build with. Gold, silver, precious stones. Those elements refer to eternal, refer to the eternal things. Then he speaks about wood, hay, and straw. And these three elements are not suitable materials to build with. They refer to the temporal. And then Paul speaks about this fire that will come and judge our work one day, judge our lives. What will be remaining in our lives? Is there gold, silver, and precious stones that we are pursuing, that we are sowing? Or is there hay, straw, and, and wood? Will it be burnt up? Again, a time of introspection for our lives. We stand together and God judges us by the standard of his word. Every moment of your life, you can decide, am I going to build for the eternal or am I going to build for the temporal? Christ will evaluate each person's contribution to the advancing of his kingdom. And the day of judgment will reveal the sincerity of each person's work. Good work will be rewarded. Unfaithful work will be discounted. The builder may be saved, but only one escaping through the flames means that unfaithful workers will be saved, yes, but like people escaping from a burning building. And this gives us the the opportunity to just really think You know, Paul speaks, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward. Paul had a lot to to forget in his past. Paul was the one who held the jackets of those who killed Stephen. He was the one who went out to to look for the Christians and to, to sort them out. He had a lot to feel condemned and guilty about. But he understood the grace of God that was upon his life, where he could receive forgiveness And that God could wash him clean of that and then look forward to the rest of his life. And we've all been there, folks. We've all done stuff in our lives that we've regretted or we're not proud of. But the grace of God is incredible. It's, It's undeserving, but it's a free gift. So there's nothing you can do to earn it. And he wants to come and remove any guilt or condemnation from you. The Spirit of God is gentle, and the Spirit of God leads us, and it's a still, small voice that leads us, but we need to to listen to that voice. I want to, in this last little part of my sermon, I only thought about that this this morning, but I've been reading a book called Driven by Eternity by John Bevere, and he, he speaks about what we've been preaching on in the last couple of weeks. And I want to read a portion of a chapter to you. It's going to take me about seven minutes, so I'm, I'm just warning you because I don't want anyone to, to fall asleep. I couldn't find, if, if I felt this yesterday, I would have found someone who's got one of those incredible voices that you can listen to. But um, I'm going to read just to let you know what's, what's happened is... 
John Bevere uses the metaphor of an allegory. So he writes this fictional story, but it's a metaphor for um, what's going to happen on that day when we see Jesus. He talks about the city, Aphibel, which is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. The king is Jalen. So if you hear Jalen, it's referring to Jesus. And the woman that is standing before uh, Jesus, her name is Charity. And she's lived her life. He speaks about it. And then she gets judged on, on the way she lived her life. And what I want you to just hear with your heart is it could be, it, it could be a very philosophical and teaching uh, moment to speak about the rewards. What, what's going to happen in heaven one day? Are we going to all be in a massive cathedral worshiping God for our whole lives? No, we're not. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus in the new, on the new earth. So with that in mind, and with seven minutes of storytelling coming, my kids always fall asleep when I tell stories at night, so I'm hoping that that won't happen here. So you can close your eyes if you want, and maybe not. If you think better, or if you hear better by closing your eyes, then please do that. So I'm going to sit down. Charity's reward. After the review of her final words and thoughts, the king looked to an under-ruler sitting close by and asked. Now here, Charity, the lady, she's standing before Jesus, and he has investigated her life. He's investigated her thoughts, her motives, her actions, and now he's, he's giving out the reward. How many lives did Charity influence for my kingdom? The ruler replied, my Lord, 5,183, a little more than one-sixth of the population of the community. Charity was surprised. How could it be so many? Jalen, Jesus, replied, Recall in the ancient writings that I promised to multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Charity, my kingdom works on the multiplication principle. The king then showed in greater detail how her obedient efforts multiplied to influence the masses, even though she wasn't a leader in the community. The ripple effects were staggering. Jalen added, as it is written, the benevolent person scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. A life submitted to me will result in a scattering effect of which no citizen is fully aware until he or she stands before this judgment seat. For this reason, many did not obey in the small matters because they saw them as insignificant. Yet most often it is the seemingly insignificant matters that produce the greatest harvest in this kingdom. The key was your obedience, no matter the circumstances. Jalen then said, Charity, do you see the unoccupied throne to your left, which is near mine? She replied, Yes, my Lord. This will be your throne on which to sit, and you will rule with me for the rest of your life. Charity was in complete shock. But Lord, I'm not worthy to rule. I was a simple restaurant owner. There's so many who are more gifted than I. How could I rule with you in such a magnificent kingdom? Selfish, who was another uh, member of the community, 
was a great leader in our community. What about him? Please give me a job that just serves you or your people. Jalen responded, Selfish is in the rear of the great hall and will be a landscaper in the sections of our city called the Flatlands. He will also serve landscapers in selected other cities. However, you shall be a ruler because of the love you showed me and my people. Your endurance, loyalty, and humility have secured you this honor. Do you not recall my words from the ancient writings? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled himself will be exalted. Not only shall you rule with me, but I've prepared a glorious home for you on the coast of the great sea, near my home in Regal Center. I know how much you love water and the sound of waves, so I've granted your desire and delight. I grant all faithful servants their heart's desires. Charity was speechless. The king continued, You shall be governor over ten districts in the city. There are eleven other governors along with you, overseeing a total of 120 districts in the city of Aphibel. You'll work closely with me along with the other 72 rulers in our city who, who sit upon the thrones. The other rulers have governing authorities over areas such as education, manufacturing, entertainment, the arts, and various other fields. The 77 rulers, my father and I, are the ones who plan, forecast, and oversee life in Affable. You will be one of my trusted advisors and liaisons between my citizens and me. Not only shall you rule with me in the city, but as you do the other 77 rulers, you shall also have leadership over the cities of the outer realm. I give you charge over the 20 cities on the continent of Ben-Gila. You shall be the prime minister of this continent. All those who live and lead there shall report to you. You only report to me. As Jalen spoke these words to charity, as Jalen spoke these words to charity, unpretentious, who was another member of the community, stood in the back, full of joy for his fellow classmates. However, his joy was mixed with a twinge of regret as he thought of how he had had the opportunity to influence thousands of lives for the kingdom, and he did not. He could have been one of these under-rulers privileged to work directly with Jalen. He was thankful for his acceptance in the kingdom of Affable, but he realized he had wasted time in his short stay in Endel, which was their life on earth, and it would affect the rest of his life for eternity. The king then said to the chief god, bring the crown of the overcomer and the scepter of rulership to me. Once Jalen received them, he placed the crown on Charity's head. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with the little and I which I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of 10 districts and 20 cities as your reward. Then the king handed her the scepter and said, You shall no longer be called Charity, for I give you a new name. You shall be called Cherished Overcomer. For did I not foretell all the citizens of Endel to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority 
over the districts and nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, just as I have received authority from my father. Jalen escorted Charity up to his throne and said, Cherished overcomer, turn and face your family. She turned to a thunderous applause. Great sounds of joy and dancing overtook the audience. It was more than had been witnessed at any other judgment. The atmosphere was filled with exuberant rejoicing and celebration. A radiant smile filled the face of cherished overcomer, and the outpouring of such love amazed her. Her king put his arm around her and with great joy proclaimed, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that incredible? I'm going to ask Brian if he can come and uh, join me and the worship team. And folks, after I, I read that portion, I was like, wow, Lord, I'm humbled. I'm challenged. There are regrets in my life. Have I wasted time? Have I wasted money? And not, not in, I, I didn't have those thoughts because I wanted, I'm pursuing the reward. Because that already, the motive is wrong. But as we hear from uh, Charity's uh, heart, and when she speaks, she says, Lord, I I don't want to be a ruler. I just want to be someone who serves you. I just want to serve my king. I just want to serve people. And God rewarded her faithfully. And I'm going to ask you if you can close your eyes, and we're going to pray together. hope that God has spoken to you this morning and that it's not about me being up here and and preaching but the word of God is alive and active it is sharper than a two-edged sword it cuts through to spirit and to soul it cuts through flesh and bone it judges the thoughts and the intents of man and I stand with you today as we pray this prayer We have an opportunity here. If I come back to my string, this this little red part, this is our our focus for now. How, How are we doing? Are we aware of that day when we will stand before Jesus? How often do we think about it? Are we do we only think about it when we're reminded by a sermon? Or do you do you think about it daily? Do you think about it when you make decisions? Because I think that would be the worst thing to happen to us is when we get to that day, when we stand before Jesus and we regret the life that we have lived on earth. And I believe Jesus is encouraging us today. He is shouting us on. He's he's encouraging us. Listen to what Paul said. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I do believe that when Paul wrote this, he was thinking about that day that he was going to stand before Jesus. Paul was absorbed with with this thought. His energy was directed to that thought. 